Good morning. Today's scripture reading is 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Also, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's open our spirits to God's Holy Spirit in a moment of prayer. God, we gather in this place to remember, to seek the real meaning of what this season is all about. Because, God, there's so many distractions that would call us in different directions. We often look for the meaning of this season in, in all the wrong places the tinsel, the parties, this presence. And we end this season just glad it's all over, tired, exhausted. <clears throat> And we end up missing it. So God, here and now, we gather to try to seek what it's really all about. To find that true joy and hope and peace and love. So Lord, lead us in this, we pray. Open our hearts and our minds to be transformed, to be renewed and emboldened to live as your people through the power of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Once again, we appreciate the worship band and everybody and our helping us out this morning to go through this season. And uh, you see on the screen, I see some of you laughing. Uh, uh, a few years ago, I uh, watched a program that there's a Christmas special where the Muppets teamed up with CeeLo Green to sing a Christmas song entitled, All I Need is Love. Some of you may remember that. I don't know how many of you are Muppet fans, <clears throat> but I am. So anytime I see that on television and while it's coming up, I, I'm intrigued and I, I try to watch them. <clears throat> and in, in true Muppets form, this Christmas special uh, had all the elements of the Muppet movies, the action and humor, and all the favorite Muppet characters were there. There was Kermit, there was Fozzie, Miss Piggy, and uh, Pee-Pee, and uh, Gonzo, and the chickens, and there were, you know, all of them. They were all there. And of course, with CeeLo on the, in the set, uh, 
there was lots of bling. <clears throat> and uh, what I remember most about this special, though, is that, that the song that they sang actually captured the essence of what Christmas is really all about. I mean, they may not have intended that, but they were singing about all the uh, things they were going to get for Christmas under the Christmas tree. You know, all the fancy toys, all the uh, new technological gadgets. But the song was about how they didn't really want all that. That wasn't what they were looking for. What they really wanted, what they really needed, was love. Well, maybe all of them in this piggy. Uh, she's kind of the material pig, you know. <clears throat> but, uh, and I'm sure the Muppets did not intend some grand theological statement by the singing of this song. <laughs> Probably far from it. But it, it tapped into that eternal truth of the real message of Christmas, that all we really need is love. And, of course, that's the gift that God gives to us in Christmas. Today we're continuing our Advent series where we're seeking to understand what it really means to say that God is with us. That's the proclamation of Christmas. What does that really mean? Each week we're focusing on a different attribute of God that is represented through the coming of Jesus Christ. The first week, last week, we talked about how God with us brings hope. This week we're looking at how God with us brings love. When Jesus came into this world as a baby, he was the human embodiment of the gift of God's love. The angel says that he was God with us, Emmanuel. And so he was the incarnation of God made flesh among us. And the Bible describes God is love. It says God is love. And so Jesus was love incarnate. In fact, Jesus' birth is a beautiful love story. And we as human beings are always intrigued, we're fascinated, we're, uh, we're drawn and moved and inspired by love stories, right? Uh, that's why there's so many of these Hallmark movies on right now, right? It seems like they're on every channel, and uh, everybody wants to watch them. But uh, maybe you've never thought of the Christmas story as being a love story. But it is in so many ways. First of all, it's a love story between Mary and Joseph. Um, you have this, uh, have you ever thought about the story of Mary and Joseph as being a love story? Well, it is, in a lot of different ways. You see this in the Christmas story. First of all, you have this story of a carpenter named Joseph living in a very small, obscure little town, village, uh, known as Nazareth. He's of a noble descent and ancestry. Uh, he's a distant relative of King David. But he's living a humble life, working with his hands as a carpenter. He probably learned that trade from his father, who was a carpenter before him. We really don't know how old <clears throat> Joseph was at this point in his life. Uh, but we do know that he's worked long enough to establish himself as an honorable, um, a successful craftsman, which would have made him an eligible bachelor in that society. He's probably around the age of 20 years old, and now he's able and willing to marry and start a family of his own. And all the young girls of the village would have known that, or should I say all the young fathers <clears throat> would have noticed that, because um, the Jewish customs of marriage in that day were very different than our customs that we're, we're used to. Uh, they followed clearly defined legal procedures when it came to marriage that was in three stages. There was the contract, there was the consummation, and then there was the celebration. So to begin with, uh, Joseph uh, would have been approached by Mary's father. <clears throat> he would have come to her to propose he marry his daughter, Mary, and um, if they agreed upon this, they would arrange for the marriage. A cash price would be set, sort of like a dowry that Joseph would pay to Mary's family. There may be some gifts involved in that. 
when they came to an agreement on all this, then a contract was signed called the Ketubah. And then at that point, as far as everyone was concerned, Mary and Joseph were legally married. I mean, they were bound to each other. They were still in the engagement process, but they were bound to each other legally as husband and wife. The couple would, at that point, start to get to know one another a little better. Um, This is more like the dating stage that we're accustomed to in our relationships. Uh, Mary would still live with her family. Uh, Their visits would be highly supervised um, by the families. But uh, knowing that they're going to be married for the rest of their lives, they would start to get to know one another and spend time with each other. And at some point in the future, maybe a year from now or maybe several years, depending on the age of the bride or other circumstances, Joseph would lead a procession of his friends to Mary's house, where she would be waiting with a group of her friends. And all these friends then would go inside the house while the couple went and consummated their marriage in a tent. Talk about being put on the spot. <laughs> you know, so they consummated their marriage. And then at, and this is stage two. It's called the chupa uh, stage of the marriage. And then um, after that's taken care of, uh, they all, all the friends and stuff would go to this great marriage feast. And they would celebrate the third stage, which is a celebration of the marriage as husband and wife. And then they would go live together. It's very different <laughs> than the customs we have in, in our relationships and marriage. Um, some of you might be saying, oh, that sounds kind of awkward and very non-romantic. <clears throat> well, maybe it seems that way to us, but... Who's to say because their traditions are different than ours that there was not a love that was flowing between Mary and Joseph? In fact, the Bible, it doesn't really give us all the details here, and you have to use your imagination a little bit, but there's several indications that there was a deep love that existed between Mary and Joseph. Uh, We know that Mary was younger than Joseph. Um, The tradition says she was a young teenager, but she still would have been a marriageable age in that culture. And um, she lived in this small town, Nazareth. It was a very small village, so she would have certainly known who Joseph was. And Joseph would have known who she was. In fact, uh, the fact that they came to terms on this contract, this agreement to marry, uh, it was an indication that Joseph liked what he saw in Mary. So they came to terms. And like any of us, they had no idea what their future held as husband and wife, what their journey was going to be like. Um, But at this point, they're just excited they're nervous as the agreement is signed, and, and uh, they've now bound to each other as husband and wife. And with each day that passed, they would get to know each other. They'd learn more about each other, what made each other laugh, uh, how each other faced difficulties and challenges in life, the uh, strong parts of their personality that shone forth, as well as the imperfections, uh, their dreams, their hopes, and their fears for the future, how many children they wanted to have together, Uh, what kind of home Joseph was going to build for them someday, how they longed for that day when they would be consummating their relationship and moving forward together. Each day that passed, Mary and Joseph would have fallen deeper in love with each other and their love for each other would grow. So imagine the emotional bombshell that happened when Joseph hears the news that Mary is pregnant. How could you do this to us? Mary, how could you do this to me, to, to us? I, mean, I thought you loved me like I love you. How could you do this, Mary? If you've ever experienced the betrayal of adultery in a relationship or you've known of anybody who has, you know that the, the pain, the devastation of it is overwhelming. The wound is 
almost like a physical wound. It feels like your chest is about to explode before you. This was the betrayal of trust that Joseph undoubtedly was feeling. But Mary comes to him and says to him, Joseph, I know this sounds crazy, but an angel came to me and told me that I'm going to have a baby. And Joseph, the angel says he would be called Jesus and he would be great and, and uh, he would rule over the kingdom. He's going to be called the son of the most high. He's going to be the Messiah, Joseph. You've got to believe me. This is a miracle. And it's true because, because I'm pregnant. And Joseph might have heard those words about angel and Messiah and all that kind of stuff happening, but all that was forgotten when he heard that word pregnant. And everybody knows there's only one way to become pregnant. And Joseph knew that he had not been a part of that process. <laughs> and so now everybody's going to think that either he has dishonored Mary and her family, and that's going to make him a disgrace to his family and all the town, or either Mary has had an affair and dishonored him, been unfaithful. So all this is just too much for Joseph. You know, maybe he leaves without saying anything and silence, just broken and um, speechless. Maybe he yelled. Maybe he was harsh with Mary or said something and left Mary leaving in tears. We really don't know. All we know is this conversation did not go too well between them. Uh, This may be part of why Mary left for three months to go be with her cousin Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea. It would buy some time for Mary's family to figure out what to do. And some time for Joseph maybe to accept this. So the lovers part with pain, with anger, distress swirling around them. And all this time, Mary is desperately holding on to those words of the angel that God's very son had sprung to life within her. That somehow, somehow God was going to make a way for them through this. So you see, this story has all the makings of a beautiful love story. I mean, you have this couple who's brought together by fate and their love for each other grows with each passing day. And then there's this uh, perceived betrayal of trust that threatens to destroy their entire relationship and makes for a great Hallmark Christmas movie, right? But it's so much more to us than just that. Mary and Joseph's story was a true human love story. But it was also a supernatural love story that involves you and me and every human being that has ever walked this planet. If, if we were watching a movie of Mary and Joseph's love story, be at this point the camera would begin to, to drift out from that drab and uh, dusty Galilean village of Nazareth and begin to have a wider and wider picture of the landscape you begin to see those geographical forms of continents and oceans. And then even wider still, where you'd see the, the big blue ball of, of earth. And even wider still, and you see the limits of the universe where, and time and space and, and uh, all that thing. And finally, you'd get to that point where you got so wide that you'd have nothing but a presence. A supernatural, infinite presence known as God. The scripture describes God as being love. In our scripture passage this morning, it says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. So this is the nature of God. Love in its purest form. Love was at the center 
of God's creative force when he made this universe and he formed human beings and image so that we can be in relationship with him. It was love that was there when the world fell into sin and rebellion. And despite the consequences of our human fall state, fallen state, uh, love was there still, shepherding Adam and Eve and his family through this altered world. Even then, love was seeking a way at work, trying to redeem, trying to restore all that had been lost. It was love that forged a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was love that continually led the Israelites through resettlement and relocation and and through uh, triumph, imprisonment, and exile. As you read the story of the Old Testament, you see how it was love that continued to lead and to guide and correct and exhort and show mercy to those ever-disobedient ever easily distracted Israelites. And then you get to the New Testament, and you see how in this story of Joseph and Mary, how love took the form of the embodiment of love through Jesus Christ and the baby Messiah. Love became embodied in the one known as God with us. And love made a way. Love was there to take care of Mary and Joseph along that journey with whatever they faced. When Mary made that journey to her cousin Elizabeth's house, it was a long journey. It had to be hot. But it was more than just that. It was a lonely journey. I mean, she still could see the the disappointment, the pain in Joseph's eyes. The, The response of her family, the disbelief, the confusion. And then there were those words of hope. And promise that were given by the angel was all just swirling around, weighing heavily upon her as she made that journey thinking, what's going to happen to me? But as soon as Mary arrived, she was greeted by love. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child within you, Elizabeth exclaimed. Can you imagine the relief that Mary must have felt when she heard those words? Immediately, Elizabeth, who was carrying a miracle child of her own, she reassures and confirms to Mary that God is with you. That God is at work. And somehow everything is going to be okay. In the midst of Mary's crisis, God knew just the kind of love that she needed at that moment. A love that came through support and through comfort of another person who came alongside of her. You know, that's how love of God is experienced. God's love to us comes to us in our worst times through the support, the love, and the help of other people. And on the flip side of that, you know, we often become the embodiment of God's love when we're helping someone else who is in a time of need. In this season of Advent, <clears throat> there are many opportunities that we can reflect upon how we can actually do that for others. But when you get to Joseph's story, there was a different need. I mean, Joseph is back in Nazareth, and he has decided already that he's going to divorce Mary. I mean, it's just all too much for him. Uh, legally, he could take Mary to the courts. He could have her prosecuted and potentially stoned to death. But he still loves her. So he doesn't, he doesn't want to do that. And yet, he, he couldn't handle this breach of trust between them. And so... You know, the law provided a way for him to divorce her quietly and not to put her before public disgrace. And that's what he decided to do. And that's when God knew that Joseph needed a supernatural kind of love. And so he sends an angel with this message. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
and she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Notice how God knew exactly what Joseph needed in that moment. He identified what Joseph's real hurt and pain was all about. It was fear. Fear. And so God gave Joseph the reassurance he needed to trust in Mary's love for him, to trust Mary, and ultimately to trust God. And that God's love was going to make a way through this amazing, dangerous, and ultimately triumphant love story. So Joseph chose love and trust when the law told him he could do otherwise. And in that, I see this remarkable reflection of God's choice to love and to remain in relationship with us. Because the wages of sin, we're told, are death. And eternal separation from God is a holy, perfect God. And yet, being in the true nature of pure love, God chooses to remain in relationship with us, to redeem us, even at the cost, the terrible cost of his son, Jesus Christ. John 3.16 tells us that because of, it was because of love that God sent his son to this earth to give his life for us, to redeem us, to save us. And it is the love of this God that is with us that we remember and we celebrate during this season of Advent and Christmas. It's a love that knows exactly what we need no matter what we face in this life. It is a love that promises to always be there with us, no matter what. It is always seeking a way through whatever we're facing for God to be at work through us. As mind-blowing as it may seem, this love of God with us is an eternal love. It's as never-ending as God. It was, it is, and it shall ever be. God is always, he will never stop demonstrating his love for us. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor present, or the future, or their powers, or hype, nor death, or anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God known in Jesus Christ. I am convinced of that, he says. So we see in this story of Mary and Joseph how we can trust in God's love for us, a love that is always with us. Because God is with us, love is with us. And this love will never fail us. It's a love that will make a way no matter what you're facing in this season, no matter what you may face in the future. It is this amazing love that we remember today and we celebrate in the sacrament of Holy Communion. So we close with these words of the Apostle Paul. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and depth is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness, the fullness of God. This is what we remember. Thankfully, God provided a way for us to remember the depth of his love for us. looking at the brokenness of his world, his creation. God longed to be in relationship with us, not to have that 
not to, for death or eternal separation to be our story, but rather redemption, love, and grace to be our story. In need of his grace, he provided a way because he loved us in Jesus Christ. And you remember how Jesus wanted us to remember that. And so when he gathered his disciples in that upper room to have his last meal with them, he took something that we is very common to all of us that we do quite often. We have bread. But he took it and he broke it. In blessing it, he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When we break the bread, we remember how we live in a broken world. We have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But it is the love of God through Jesus Christ, the sacrifice for us that heals us and makes us whole. After supper, he took a cup. After he blessed it, he gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This represents my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so when we drink of it, we symbolically remember how the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our unrighteousness, forgiving us, redeeming us, restoring us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit on all of us gathered in this place and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us, God, the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, God, make us one in Christ, one with each other, one in ministry to all the world that you call us to serve. Until that day when Christ comes in final victory and we feast at that heavenly banquet together with you. And with the Holy Spirit, come to your holy church. With all of your glory, your power, your grace. Wash us clean, redeem us, make us new. We thank you, O Lord, for your love that you show us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Time would invite those who are assisting to come forward. You've heard the invitation. 
Christ invites us all to come to his table. At this church, we believe that this is not our table, but rather it is the Lord's table, and ultimately Jesus Christ is the host. And all who believe in Jesus Christ or seek the grace and the new life that he has to offer are welcome to this table, regardless of what church you may be a part of. There's a place for you. We use the method of intinction, where you'll be given a piece of bread in your hands and you are to dip it in the cup. You can kneel here at the altar to pray or return to your seat. We invite you to come and remember and give thanks for God's love that has been shown to you and to all the world in Jesus Christ. We follow the direction of the ushers.